Hello and welcome to the Oz Investing Podcast, the podcast for the everyday investor. Just a quick note before we begin today's podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be considered as personal financial advice. If you're ever in doubt about your financial situation, please reach out to a qualified financial advisor. With all that said and done, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the first content episode of the Oz Investing Podcast. My name is Sam and with me as always is my buddy Jude. How are you doing, Jude? Doing well, mate. How are you? Very well, thanks. I'm excited to get stuck in today's topic, uh, which is the three steps to wealth, eliminating debt, savings and investing. So let's get straight into it. When we talk about eliminating debt, what are some examples, Jude? Yeah, so Sam, I think before, you know, before we get into this whole topic of debt, it's it's good to classify uh, what debt is, basically. Uh, there is the good debt and then there is the bad debt, right? And, um, you know, when I say good and bad, is it's it's rega- with, re- with respect to the fact that, you know, what can you do with debt to further increase your cash flows, right? So that's that's like an example of good debt. So let's take two examples and scenarios, right? So uh, say, for instance, you are a business, you, you, you're operating in one state, you want to open operations in another state, but you need some amount of capital to make this happen. Now, mm-hmm. you would need to you know, then take on some debt or ask certain investors to put in the money into your business in order to open those operations in another state. And what that could then enable is for you to generate further cash flows to you know, uh, larger goods and services which is produced from your business, correct? So that's mm-hmm. that's taking debt, but then using it in an effective way to generate more cash flows for the business. So that's one scenario. Mm-hmm. Now yep. there is a, another scenario of good debt is like say for example in property investments, right? You you find uh, you find a good area, a good area, uh, good house to invest in, and in order to generate these rental incomes for you, uh, you purchase this property now. You, we know for a fact that you know property itself is quite costly. So you would need to take some amount of money uh, from in terms of loans from banks, right? And so that again mm-hmm. is taking on debt, but keeping in mind that you, it'll generate for you certain amount of rental incomes, correct? So that's taking debt, debt and trying to make it a cash flow like a cash flow machine for you in terms of generating more and more income. Now that's that's an example. These two scenarios which we spoke about were in terms of good debt scenarios. Now, mm-hmm. bad debts would be something like say credit card uh, credit cards which you you know you swipe in for your expenses or your know, certain personal loans, where you know it doesn't really it does little to really try and improve your long term financial outlook. Right? You you're doing that mm. from a spending perspective rather than you know taking on that debt to generate future cash flows. So I hope you know. That is the first basic definition in terms of classifying it into good debt and bad debt, right? Yep, that's that's good to note the differences. So it's important to eliminate bad debt though as quickly as possible as the interest owing is typically a lot higher than what investments would return. So I actually did a little bit of research on this and I found an article published in August 2020 that stated that the average credit card interest rate was 16.88%. So that's extremely high, um, much higher, I think, than what most people can expect on a good investment. So I think it's really important to try and pay off bad debt like credit card debt as quickly as possible. 
There is one kind of debt that a lot of people talk about, uh, which is student loans. So this is known as HEX debt or more recently now known as the HELP debt. And I would say that this kind of debt would be an okay debt. So something in the middle between good debt and bad debt. So I'll just talk about this a little bit more. There's no interest actually on a student loan. Um, it's indexed to inflation. So in yeah. other words, it's raised every year to keep up with the cost of living, which is roughly one and a half to 2% each year. And repayments only need to be done once you start earning a certain amount of income. So I believe it's about fifty dollars to $55,000 per year now before you actually need to start paying that off. I remember earlier it was actually a little bit lower. Um, and there were even discounts as well given before. Um, if you paid upfront payments of $500 or more, you could actually receive a discount. Um, but I've actually since found that this has been removed in 2017. Mm -hmm. So as, as of right now, you're probably better off investing any extra cash. So even in a savings account, it'll provide you with a higher interest rate than the indexation rate. So that's, that's something to, to keep in mind. Um, another thing to note also though, is if you are saving up for a house deposit, your student loan can actually affect how much you borrow because it is actually um, affecting your monthly cash flow if you are earning above that threshold and deductions are being made every month. So that's something to keep in mind as well. It could potentially impact on how much you can borrow if you're looking to purchase a property, mm -hmm. which is why some people actually choose to pay their student loans off earlier. So it really depends on your circumstance, but just a few things to keep note of. Yeah, that's that's good insight, Sam. I think that's, that's the way you've segregated and spoken about it. That's that's really that's some good insight into how we can really, you know, uh, manage that right, in, in a way. Correct. So mm. now that we've we've spoken about the topic on debt, I think let's talk about the next important element is how do we really try and have a savings plan in place, right? And, you know, how much uh, savings, you know, in terms of a guideline as to how we can try and uh, create like a budget plan for us based on mm. the income we're really, you know, earning, correct? Because everyone yep. is different. Everyone's circumstance is different. And, uh, and uh, you know, that's, that's how we'll have to try and tweak things in terms of to make it more customizable to our needs, correct? So, mm. A good starting point was, I think, which I'd seen in terms of uh, putting together a good budget plan was uh, from, you know, the Barefoot Investor, right? Uh, we've spoken about it in episode one, where we, you know, that's one of our uh, reference books, right, in terms of the materials we've read. And it gives you good ideas to how, uh, you know, you put together a budget, um, you know, you've got certain amount of income flowing in per month, and uh, how then you can try and segregate and uh, try to manage different expenses and, you know, and then put together a savings plan around those expenses, correct? So uh, what the Barefoot Investor really talks about is, uh, you know, we should have three, bu three buckets in terms of a plan. First one, um, he speaks about something called as Mojo, or which is nothing but the emergency bucket. Now, ideally, um, the, the amount 
or it's it's a time frame so you you've got to have at least you know 3 months of savings and when i'm saying 3 months of savings is 3 months of expense savings right so you will calculate how much expenses you incur in a month and then at least have 3 months of it saved in the bank account right so you can start off at least from the what the barefoot investor says is you know at least have 2000 in that particular uh, account but you know as a good benchmark uh you know according to the book we should have around 3 months of expenses saved in that particular account right so that's the mojo or the emergency bucket mm. then another component which he speaks about is the grow bucket now the grow bucket is at least when you start off with right it's it's as the name suggests it's how you can increase your uh, increase your money through investments right and as a starting point uh, we've got something which we we all know about is the super and he says that's a good starting point because your 9.5% of your pre tax income right goes into your super account correct so that's 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 automated anyway for you because your employer has to put in that amount of money into the super account which is nominated by you correct so that is taken care of by itself anyway and it has already been automated and uh, then the next component which is what is the income which you really get now once you've saved for the emergency fund um then how do you segregate your regular regular monthly income right so so assume that from the 100% of your income which you get in hand 60% is for your daily expenses uh that would be you know anything from rent groceries uh, gas bills all of that stuff correct utilities all of that um mm-hmm. the next element would be you know 10% would be on something called he calls as splurge now splurge is something which you can you know go out and buy for yourself uh the fun fun activities uh you know and you don't have to be account- accountable for it right you that's 10% <laughs> of yours you just go and splurge it for yourself right go on an ebay shopping spree <laughs> yes yes <laughs> but make sure it's fixed to the 10% according to the book correct so yeah. so that's 10% then there's 10% for something called as the smile account now the smile account is nothing but you know in terms of certain uh, objectives that you would like to uh, to achieve like say for example you're saving up for a holiday or you're saving up for a car purchase right so something which can give you almost you know immediate gratification in the you know the mid and long term range because it depending on what you're really buying for right holidays could be you know you're planning up for something in a year's time so you need to accumulate some amount of cash or say i'm you know purchasing a car so you know i i need to have a good 10% saving plan uh, from my income in order to try and achieve that particular plan to buy a car correct so mm-hmm. that's 10% yep. for the smile account and there's 20% what he breaks it up into something called as the fire extinguisher where it's predominantly meant for uh, you know uh, elements where you're trying to reduce debt like we spoke about that we want to try to reduce our personal debt our credit card debts no so we can use some of those particular percentages to try and reduce that debt correct uh, or mm. it is in certain what happens is if you want to reduce uh, sorry or if you want to save up for uh, say you don't have the debt and you you want to really save up for say um, your first house right you need to have that 20% deposit correct so mm-hmm. save that amount of money 20% fire and estuing is extinguisher which will basically help you in uh, saving up for a deposit for the house correct so mm. that's how it is so 60 day, uh, 60% daily expenses 10% on splurge 
10% on the smile account and 20% on the fire extinguisher. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's very important to be able to save and not live paycheck to paycheck. So I think the Barefoot Investor gives very sensible guidelines. I'll just talk about my own personal situation. Um, I'm probably one of the um, uh, less common people that is able to save a little bit more than um, the recommendations you just outlined. So I'm probably saving roughly 40% each month. And if I'm having a really good month without too many expenses, I could probably go up to about 50%. Mm-hmm. Um, but I consider myself fairly frugal. Um, so I'm able to, to kind of um, be able to do these kind of rates, but it's not for everybody. I, I think um, it's important to note that, you know, this should be tailored to your own kind of circumstances. Um, but just wanted to give some people a bit of insight on, on what I'm doing. Um, and how about you, Jude? Um, what, what's your current savings rate at the moment? Yep. So I think what we have done, Sam, is I think when I say we, is my wife and I, we we try to you know follow this particular budget plan which we have put together, right? And we've used the blueprints of the barefoot investor and then tweaked it accordingly to our uh, our circumstance. Like uh, you know, not we've not really followed it to the T, but I think those percentages which he outlined for us has really helped us put together our plan uh, in terms of what our priorities for us, correct? And for my wife and I, the the major the the immediate priority right now is to save up for that house deposit, correct? So the way mm-hmm. we have gone about it is, uh, you know, we've we've already saved up the three months Mojo account, but you know our aim is to try to make the emergency fund uh, almost infinite, right? So when I say almost infinite, is you know as per what he mentioned in the book, is you have gotta have at least like you know three months of savings so that whatever expenses or any situation which you face, right? And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it, we our plan was to try to increase that a bit more, a bit further. So the first milestone is to try to make that from three months to six months. And so what we do is from our income, the 5% of our uh, um, salary, which is there is goes into this emergency account. So that, you know, we're trying to add on to the three months, which we've already saved up on, right? Yep. Then our, Daily expenses is around 30, uh, 30%. Uh, mm-hmm. It's that's including all our rent, groceries, and all that stuff. That's pretty um, good. So that's that's like half of what Barefoot Investor recommends. So that's correct. pretty good. Correct. So we've, we've, we've managed to do that over a period of, you know, a couple of months. We've, we've done some analysis to try and see as to how much we're spending and where we're spending. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've narrowed it down to around 30%, which mm-hmm. is the daily expenses. Um, the splurge, which is, you know, each one of us gets a splurge amount, which mm-hmm. I think the barefoot investor does it at 10%, but we have, we are okay with it at around 5%. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're good at 5% for splurge. Um, now our main aim, as I told you, was the house deposit, right? So mm-hmm. majority of our savings goes into that extinguisher account for mm-hmm. the house deposit. So it's around 40%. Yeah. 40% goes into, um, you know, trying to make, it realizable in order to buy that house and to getting that ho- home deposit, that other uh, deposit, which I think our aim is to get that 20%, which, you know, is what it is, right, to, to get a house. So mm-hmm. that's one thing. And then the next one is, you know, we've got a 20% into the Smile account. Now, the Smile account is, as I said, you know, it's for the holidays and cars and all that stuff. But for us, it's like 10% is for the car, 
mm-hmm. 5% for holidays and then mm-hmm. you know 5% for anything which would be part of the new house so okay. that's how we've, yeah. we've got we've you spread it out in that way mm. okay that's good so I think it's really important to um, build up an emergency fund. So this is what the Barefoot Investor calls the Mojo account. So just in case there's some unexpected events to occur, say, for example, you lose your job or you have some very large car expenses, um, then it's really good that you have that emergency fund that you can rely on. So generally speaking, I think it's a good idea having three to six months worth of expenses uh, in that emergency fund or the Mojo account. Yep. There is a little bit more uncertainty just at the moment. So it could be wise to potentially have a larger amount. Um, it's whatever makes you feel comfortable, whatever helps you sleep better at night. Um, so three to six months is just a guideline. So you don't have to um, follow that. You, you can basically um, tailor that to to your own situation in your own kind of circumstances but i think after you have a sufficient emergency fund you should look to then do investing so this is where you start then looking at ways to make money work for you yep so jude what are some examples of ways that we can invest our money so i think that's you know it, it's it's the questions I'm aware, but there are quite a few options. I think we we hear about so many different avenues to really invest our money in, right? Now, mm-hmm. the ones which we hear most about is is stocks and shares, right? So what what exactly mm-hmm. are stocks? Stocks are nothing but a unit of ownership in a company, and usually publicly traded via stock exchange, right? And so mm-hmm. when I say stock exchange, it be you talk about here in Australia, it's the Australian stock exchange. There's the NYSE, which is in the US. You know, there are different stock exchanges where companies are traded over that particular stock exchange, correct? And this is yep. often uh, used interchangeably with, you know, shares. So stock shares, mm-hmm. pretty much the same thing, correct? Yeah. Um, yeah. The next avenue which you took, talk about is, say, bonds, okay? it's it's And what exactly is a bond? It's a way for a company or an organization or a government, right, to raise some amount of money, correct? Mm. So it's, you know, the these entities will take on debt Okay, by giving, uh, you know, where the investors buy the bond uh, and they give the money, the company, the money or the government, the money over a predetermined period of time. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the company or the organization or the government then pays back the investor with interest. Correct. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 what a bond is. Yep. Uh, there is another avenue where I think we Aussies love is property, right? Property investing is an a Aussie good way. favorite. <laughs> yes, it is. It is absolutely. So uh, that's another avenue. Um, then there is something in terms of, say, commodities investing right now. Commodities in general is a raw material or, you know, or a primary agricultural product can, that can be sold or bought. Right. And predominantly based into what? Two different components, you know, hard commodities, which could be something like gold or copper. Right. And then there's something which is like, say, soft commodities, which could be something in terms of wheat. Uh, corn, soybeans, you know, so on and so forth. And mm. there are different ways you can invest in these commodities. One is obviously when you can directly buy them, and then you know you need to find out the right time to sell them because they're you know physical commodities, right? Or you can then go in terms of uh, through the share market itself, right? You yeah. can actually buy an exchange-traded fund that specializes yeah. in commodities, or you can buy shares of a stock 
which yep. you know that produces these commodities so that's that's another thing in commodity investing correct then mm. um, you hear so many other other alternatives right uh, there's forex investing cryptocurrency you can start your own business uh, but you know the, the ones which we hear more about is obviously in terms of stock market bonds property right? that's mm. that's predominantly what we talk about and yeah. as i as i alluded to earlier the aussie favorite is property right property yeah. and stocks correct yes. and there, there yes. is this debate right. there is this debate about which is better right is property better is stocks better and um to be to be honest here i think it, it is going to be an ongoing debate because it depends on where do you look at the data and from where you really analyze the data right so it, mm-hmm. it's it's a time it's a point or um, you know a time in view basically when you try to compare these two elements correct and there could be you know the last 10 years we said the last 20 years or 30 years so uh, it is going to be an ongoing debate but both mm-hmm. of them relatively good investments of uh, so good uh, investment vehicles right so yeah um, but but i think some in in your case and scenario right uh, you have your own personal or you know you've invested in property you've got a personal experience with property so far right so can you elaborate mm-hmm. a bit about what your experiences have been with that Yeah sure so I purchased an investment property in Melbourne in 2017 so mm-hmm. I actually did have an appraisal done fairly recently I believe it was around March um so I'll talk a little bit about that so the appraisal was done just looking at sales data with you know a property type that was similar to mine in the same general location so it wasn't um an appraisal done where someone actually went inside the property and and had a good look at everything and detailed everything so it was a really you know brief kind of report so i had a look at that figure and i kind of felt that it was a little bit too optimistic so i i kind of have a different figure in mind if i was to actually sell my property right now um and if i was to do that i would make approximately 15% um and then if i was to sell the property repay the loan um take away the expenses for the 3 years that i've held the property take away the selling costs so these are things like um you know advertising marketing what you would pay the agent and so forth as mm-hmm. well as the capital gains tax um i'll be left with around 10% return on investment so return on investment taking like my initial um capital that I put as a deposit um mm-hmm. to to purchase the property and then holding it for 3 years um it would be about a a 10% uh return on investment so it's not too bad um but i found something very interesting as well which was if i was to sell the property at 10k less than the number that i've got in mind um my my selling price Mm-hmm. um i would actually end up with a negative return on investment i think it was a oh, negative it? 7% uh return on investment which is which is quite interesting so at least this does give me a good idea though on on the minimum that i would actually have to sell the property to to make um the investment worthwhile 
obviously um you know that's only my number in my mind and you know if i was to actually sell it depends on a lot of different factors whether or not there will be you know the right kind of um people available that will be willing to purchase um there's many factors involved but it just gives an idea on what the minimum would be for me to make a decent return um on the investment so it's been interesting holding property um it hasn't been entirely smooth i have had a few tenants move in and out of um the property mm-hmm. um but having looked at some of these numbers though it does give me a bit of confidence that you know it is it is a decent um investment vehicle so yeah that's my very brief um few talking points on on my personal experience on property correct i think that's that's some interesting points you raised right i mean to so say we we tend to then you know uh, just look at it in terms of what we bought the property at and then what we've sold at but sometimes you know all those different calculations you spoke about in order to arrive at what would be your net roi correct mm. uh, that's that gives you good perspective that you know it's just not about what you bought and sold at there are yeah. these internal workings which you really need to calculate and then arrive at what uh, the property invest what you've invested in is uh, returned to you, for you right so mm. that's that was good that's a good example as well sam so thanks for sharing that um, so you know we've spoken about a bit in terms of the different investment vehicles and so let's just focus upon now the two major ones which is i said the stock market as well as property and this let's go to some of the advantages and disadvantages of each right mm. and um, i'll just start off with a bit i think i'll just start talking about the stock market the stocks uh, the advantages and disadvantages of stocks sure. um one obviously is when we talking about stock investment the the barrier to entry is far lower right in in terms of the fact is when you have to look in for a property you need some amount of uh, deposit amounts which need to go in and then all of that stuff so your entry point would be you know a longer period of time because you have to collect some amount of percentages for the deposit so that could mm-hmm. dependent on your situation take a longer time but it's not the case for in terms of stocks right because you can start off with the uh, minimum at least uh, around 500 bucks in the mm-hmm. stock market that's right yeah and um, th- so there's it's it's definitely a lower barrier to entry correct mm-hmm. and uh, at the same time you're not invested in just one avenue right you you can invest in so many so many companies uh, across different in- industries so you're basically having a diversified portfolio if you may add correct and uh, what it also does is if in case you're not too happy with it you want to really you know take some profits off the table it's easier and more liquid as compared to property again correct so that's Mm. um that's another advantage in terms of stocks but at the same time um you know there are there are certain disadvantages to it right i mean to say there and it depends on what like you know which um investment uh, por- uh, sorry portfolio but i think it, the investment or the invest industry or a particular sector you're really investing in um there is the risk element which really comes in in terms of stocks correct so mm. um there is a higher risk profile correct because it depends on your underlying assets as we spoke about um there is also it's not tangible right like when you buy property you know that this is for you and i can sell this off but when you're talking about uh, stocks right you could lose 
most of your investments if you're not really invested in a good business correct mm. um another another area is where i think it's it's a disadvantage from a fact that you know there are so many options within stocks like uh, out there right now correct so mm-hmm. you could invest it in as we said uh, you can invest it in upcoming technologies or some sectors which are really not um you know you're you really not sure about and you haven't done your due diligence correct so sometimes too much of an option is also not a good thing mm-hmm. and uh, yep. it can be a bit confusing and can be a bit intimidating for the new investor correct so these are a couple of advantages and disadvantages which comes to my mind i think when we're talking about stocks so what's your take about property yeah so i'll just talk a little bit um now on property advantages and and disadvantages um i would i'll just kind of i'll start with advantages first i think for a lot of people with property being tangible i think that's a very big advantage um people like that sense of ownership you know this is my house my land i can touch it i can see it this is what i've you know put my money in um there's that very reassuring feeling um with um with property so that in contrast with shares um you know you might just get something in the mail saying that you own these shares and you can look at uh, an application or something like that um that is proof that you own shares but it's a little bit different uh with property so you've got that really solid kind of sense of ownership uh with uh, with property um you can argue also that property is less volatile so there's not those wild swings that you get in the share market as you do with property so we recently experienced a bit of a dip um in the share market around march uh 2020 so i think you know it dropped 30 odd percent at that point in time um you won't get these kind of wild swings in in property um so it's not going to be as volatile um the income that you get from property uh you could argue that that can be a little bit more reliable as well in comparison to stock dividends so if you have dividends from a certain company at their discretion they can cancel that at any point in time so if they're not having a very good year or if their outlook's not looking very good they they can slash that dividend but with rental income as long as you've got a tenant inside um mm-hmm. you're you're going to receive that every single month now of course you can get vacancies in property as well um but generally speaking those if you bought in a decent area and you know the location well and you know what kind of um tenant you can attract most of the time i think um it won't take you too long to to attract a new tenant um into a property but in having said all that um if you compare kind of rental income to dividend income you could argue uh, that if you've got a very stable tenant that that the income's a little bit more certain um you can also add value to property as well by renovation so you can do a little bit of landscaping um you can fix up the roof um you can put some fencing you can do a few things to property to increase its value so you spend a little bit of money uh to do it up and then when it comes time to sell it can actually do a lot for your um resale value of, of that entire property and probably the biggest advantage i would say with property is taking advantage of leverage 
Um, so very briefly, this is the concept of um, you putting an amount, a deposit amount uh, for the property, but the value of the property is much larger than that. So if the property value increases a little bit, your uh-huh. initial investment that you put down for the deposit is going to be magnified a lot more. Mm. So it's important to keep in mind though that this is, um, you know, a, a really good advantage of property, but it's also a, a double-edged sword as well at the yeah. same time because yeah. if that property drops in value, for instance, yep. uh, your your um, the impact to your initial investment is, is amplified again in the up, in the other direction. So yeah. I think it's important to to keep that in mind as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Correct. I think so, that's. Mm. So I think, and and just to add to that, I think that's that's another advantage if I had to put it in terms of the stock market. So there's no leverage so you can't really lose more than what you've invested in right so yes there, there is um you can actually borrow to invest in the stock market as well so you can right. take advantage of leverage in the stock market however it's an even riskier avenue um okay. than than you know investing with your own money that that you already have um you know in a savings account or, or something like that if you're if you're leveraging into the stock market and the stock market isn't working out very well for you, um, which can happen quite easily because it's a volatile market, okay. then um, your your initial investment is going to evaporate very quickly. Uh, uh, absolutely. And I think, I think when we're talking about it, we're talking about when we're investing, we're investing in something which you already have. Like we've got yeah, certain yeah. amount of capital and we're investing that capital. We're not using, uh, you know, we're not borrowing money to really invest in it because we don't, at least I think that's, that's not the approach to be taken, right? You don't want yep. to borrow and then invest in something which in the short term can be quite volatile. Stock yep. market in the short term can be volatile and we have seen yes. that. Um, yes, absolutely. case, an example, you just spoke about, you know, the March tip, which we've had, like mm. anyone would have would have been in for a shock, right? When it really dipped 34, yeah. 34%. But then, you know, obviously when you look at uh, how, how fast it has recovered, it, it it wouldn't be this, you know, the same scenario all the time. Right? It could right. take more time for it to recover. So mm. you're absolutely right. Taking mm. debt in order to put in money in the stock market is not exactly best no, way. Not to advisable. Not 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 advisable at all. Um, right. So there's a few disadvantages though of property, and you touched on this before, Jude, uh, with the high barrier to entry. So you do need to save a pretty large sum of money uh, for a house deposit. So a lot of the time it is advisable to save up 20% of the value of the property to avoid um, LMI, which stands for lender's mortgage insurance. So it's another additional cost um, if you don't have that 20%. Um, So, you know, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars here to to try and save up a house deposit. So it is a relatively high barrier um, to to entry. process to purchase takes a bit of time as well um so you need to do inspections um you need to um uh, fill out a lot of paperwork you've got to go to your bank get your approvals um it could take you know a a fair amount of time before um uh everything gets tied up and and you officially have the property so it's not quite as quick as as shares i think shares right now um it's at a point where 
it's fairly easy to to buy a share. Um, you can go on on a brokerage um, application, and if you have your account already set up, um, it it really is just um, a click of a few buttons. So it takes a lot longer to to purchase a property. Um, I think one of the things a lot of people um, overlook as well is some of the hidden costs associated with property. So we're talking about uh, mortgage establishment fees, uh, the the upkeep of the property, council fees, strata fees, um, broken toilets, broken lights, all, all sorts <laughs> of things um, go, go into maintaining property. Um, so I think people need to keep that in mind and try to estimate some of these costs um, if they're actually serious about purchasing a property. So so ask, you know, what, what are the strata rates I can expect? What are the council rates that I can expect? Um, try to get approximations for these kind of things so that you know what you're in for. Um, the other kind of disadvantage with property is that there is no diversification. So when you put your deposit down and you've got your property, um, it's a very good moment, but you got to keep in mind that it's one property in one house, in one street, in one suburb, um, in one city in Australia, <laughs> right? So, so okay. your diversification is is really zero. You've you've basically put um, a, a big lump of money in in one very uh, specialized area. Um, so, unlike stocks where you have different options now um, for instant diversification um, with property, you really don't have that. Uh, so that's another thing to, to kind of keep in mind as well. Uh, exiting also is a lot harder. Um, so you mentioned about uh, stocks being fairly liquid. If it's a stock that's traded quite often, there's a lot of volume. I think, yep, you're just certainly right. Um, you can definitely sell that stock very easily. With property, different stories. So you're probably looking at about three to four months at least trying to sell a property. You have to advertise, you have to wait for people to come in, you have to um, wait for them to put in offers. Um, some of them may have their finances sorted out, some of them may not. Um, and, and also you would have to discuss what the settlement time is as, as well. Um, they could drag that settlement time longer than the typical um, 60 to 90 days. So a lot of different factors to to consider there. Um, there's also the fact that you need to, you know, negotiate home loan rates. Mm -hmm. um, at the moment, though, um, rates are fairly low. I, I think if people shop around, um, they'll actually find pretty attractable uh, rates uh, for a home loan. Um, I think will mm. continue for a few more years, looks like. <laughs> yeah, well, given the current outlook, um, I, don't, I don't think there's, there's anything to suggest otherwise just at the moment. Um, so it is good at the moment with the lower interest rates, but you have to also consider, okay, if you are an investor, you probably want to try and get an interest only loan. Um, so this is to try to take advantage of um, tax um, tax benefits. So you, you mm -hmm. can actually have uh, the entire loan um, you know, being tax deductible um, if, if it's an interest only loan. So 
it is a little bit harder now um, in the current 2020 environment to get an interest-only loan, though. Uh, so there was a little bit of a clampdown by APRA um, a couple of years ago, uh, and there's a lot more checks and balances now that go into um, approval for a home loan. So trying to get an interest-only loan these days is a little bit of a struggle. Um, so those are kind of the things to keep in mind um, when when looking to invest in property. Those are probably the the disadvantages. Um, but I think it's important to note that you know you 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 look at advantages and disadvantages for any kind of um, investment vehicle. Um, and it's important to note that all all the kind of um, options that we spoke about. Um, have a place in an investment portfolio. So things such as bonds, uh, commodities, um, fixed interest kind of investments, um, they, they all have a place um, in a portfolio. So these kind of more defensive assets um, would be really good to maintain wealth after the accumulation phase. Um, so I, I think they all definitely um, can can um, work out in in someone's portfolio. Uh, what what do you think about that, Jude? Yeah, no, I think I completely agree, Sam. So the thing is, in, and the important thing to focus here is the the word which you use. It's it's a it's a portfolio, right? And and these assets constitute a portfolio. So we're we're not going to always be in a position where we're going to pick winners all the time, correct? There will be ups and downs. Mm. And, we must just make. Uh, we must just ensure that these assets, which we really pick, right, help balance risk, correct? And and you spoke about these defensive assets. They are mainly there in order to, you know, uh, as risk aversion vehicles, correct? So when you have time on your side and you have the stomach for some risks, the percentage of these assets will be on the lower side, right? Mm. But as you grow older and you know, especially towards your retirement, these numbers will start um, increasing in terms of your percentage of the portfolio. So it's 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 how we try to manage risk uh, and mm. then try to use that in order to, you know, generate those particular returns, right? But yeah. uh, we have to look at it holistically, not just, you know, picking up individual components within the portfolio. When we say portfolio, it's the entire thing. Uh, so as to look at it more on the holistic side of things rather than the individual elements. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So just to recap a little bit about what we discussed today. So three steps to wealth, uh, what we want to try and do, we want to eliminate debt, particularly bad debt. Uh, we want to try to be saving each month. Um, if you don't know where to start, the Barefoot Investor Guidelines, as Jude mentioned, is a really good place to start. And then finally, we want money to be working for us. Uh, so we want to be looking at uh, different kinds of um, investments that we've talked about briefly today, property, stocks, bonds, commodities, and some alternatives to try and make your money work for you. So I think that's all we've got time for today. Thank you all for listening in. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please check out our website if you haven't done so, oz-investing.com. So that's oz spelled O-Z. And consider joining our email list. We'll be sending out an easy-to-use checklist on what to look out for when investing in the stock market. And also check out our Facebook and Instagram. There are links to our social pages on our website. If you'd like to contact us directly, please do so. Please send us an email, ozinvesting2020 at gmail.com or through the contact section of the website. 
So with all that said and done, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and we'll catch up with you next time. See you later.